You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. My name is Joseph Couch, and uh, I work here with the Desperation Leadership Academy. And I started about a year ago with 24-7. It was fun because uh, Aaron Stern was my boss, and you guys all know Aaron Stern from the Mill. He's the He's the cool, he's the, he's the long-term, the local church pastor guy, got everything under control. And then uh, just about a month and a half, two months ago, I officially switched from David, uh, excuse me, from Aaron to David Perkins. And so I went from the kind of the chill, relaxed to the just all the time guy. And so he's, uh, we were just talking, I think uh, there's two things that David believes are crucial to effective Christianity. One is passion and two is coffee. And uh, so... <laughs> I think if he stopped drinking coffee today, he has about a backlog of four or five years worth of coffee that would continue to cause him to be crazy. But uh, anyways, I love working here. I love working in the, the college 20-somethings venue and, and, uh, and helping people kind of unpack a little of who they are and how to effectively operate as a Christian. And so um, this morning, I'm going to talk a little bit more about being a practitioner in the spiritual world. And so it's a little bit more of a practical sort of a, sort of a, a one-two that we're going to go through. But I want to talk a little bit more about being a practitioner because I think when it comes to spiritual ideas— and um, when it comes to the spirit world, we get, uh, we get a lot of information that's just kind of head knowledge. And so you get, whether it's uh, Sixth Sense in the theaters, whether it's uh, whatever it is, you know, if it's just uh, a bunch of derelicts in a coffee shop, everybody has ideas and opinions about the spiritual world, and our demons real? Like, we've all grown up with little, little cartoons, there's a little guy with the horns on this side and a tail and a pitchfork, and, and then, like, a little guy with the angel wings on this side. And, and so we have a lot of competing ideas for, for what the spiritual world looks like. And so, um, as, I, as I grew into my mid-20s and <clears throat> 31 now, and uh, enjoying uh, <laughs> the later side of the, of the 20s, um, as I've grown into these, I've gotten less and less impressed with all the ideas uh, about spirituality, and I've become more and more impressed with people that were practitioners. Because what I found is in the heat of the moment, it wasn't all the ideas that made the difference. It wasn't the people who could quote all the right scriptures or say all the right things. It was the people who actually had a presence in the spiritual world people who had confidence and knew how to interact. And uh, I, I, had a, I had a younger brother who was a missionary in Nepal, and, and, uh, and he left uh, in around 2006 or 2005. And, and, uh, and he and I had always had a relationship growing up where we loved talking about theology. We loved talking about scripture. It was like take over the planet, go home sort of stuff. And, and so it was just kind of this crazy raw go get him. And after about a year talking to him on the phone while he was in Nepal, <clears throat> it came to a place where it was just kind of like, man, the, the whole just the massive emphasis on theology and, and ideas and, and how to operate well in the spiritual realm, all that, it kind of just like, he wasn't interested anymore. And I was like, bro, what, what happened? Are you like, are you backsliding? What's going on? And he said, you know what, Joe? He said, there's a lot of people with a lot of information. He said, particularly in the Western church, we're so inundated with information. He goes, but what I'm finding is that, there's, there's, that the information does so little in the heat of the moment. He said, I'm studying under a Tibetan pastor right now who works in a powerful way as God works through him in planting churches and casting out demons. And he said, he goes, this guy knows no theology. He can't even spell theology. I can't either. Um, but he's like, he goes, I have, he goes, yeah, he knows so little about what we would consider important information. He goes, but when the rubber meets the road and it comes time for him to influence the situation, the man knows the heart of Christ. He knows how to speak to demonic spirits and make them move. And he really knows his stuff. And so anyways, through that process, I began to go, Lord, help me get away from all the ideas and all the fun stuff that we kind of throw out there and help me become a practitioner so that I can really move with the word of God in our generation. Amen? All right, I am, I am obviously a very Caucasian man. I say this almost every time I speak. I, I love uh, the southern 
gospel black churches. That's when I was in college, it was a, it was cracker heaven. And I would sneak out and go down the road to the black churches because it was cool. And so they would talk and the people would talk back. And so when I talk and I go, amen, amen. somebody with me, amen. Yeah, preach, come on, brother. Mm, yeah, got it. It's good. Okay. All right. So we'll do a little bit of that. If you do that, I'll feel better too. Cause I'll be like, Oh, they're awake. Okay. Um, all right. Um, let's open our Bibles real quick. If you got them, <laughs> excuse me. And turn to Revelation 12. We're going to look at a passage here that is, is part of our story. Um, but what I love about it is it's just it's part of, it's part of the, the human story and the theme. You see it in Hollywood all the time. You see it in uh, all the great movies. Uh, you think about um, whether it's from The Matrix to The Lion King uh, to Narnia. Uh, all, all, some, of our, some of our most epic stories, it's points where our kind of heroine or our hero steps into their world and they step into the middle of a battle zone. So one of my personal favorites, The Lion King, okay, Mufasa. Mufasa, ooh, say it again. <laughs> um, he's driven away. He's driven away by deception, some horrible things that happen, and it's an evil scenario. And when he comes back into his world, he steps into a world that's totally in a battle, and it's totally in a fight, and it's not a peaceful place. He steps into a battle zone. And so he has to fight to regain the kingdom. Or you look at the Matrix, and when, when, uh, when, when Neo finally wakes up and he's really alive, he doesn't step into a peaceful, nice, beautiful world. He took the blue pill, red pill? Took the pill, okay? He took the, <laughs> he took the pill, but, but when he woke up and when he stepped, stepped into the world, it was into a world where there was massive fighting, there was massive chaos, and it was a life-and-death situation. But you look at some of these stories and you go, man, I wonder if their story is not a little bit like mine. And they don't necessarily choose to be in a battle zone. But I think the same thing's true for you and I. When we become Christians, sometimes you get sold this kind of cheap, everything will be wonderful, everything will be nice, Jesus will love you, you'll grow taller, you'll be smarter, you'll drink more coffee, it'll be an amazing life, okay? But the reality is most of us know that when you become a Christian, what happens is that you start stepping into major battle zones. And sometimes it seems like the harder that you press and the more that you push into Jesus and the more that you try to influence people and your peers the more that you get backlash and the more there comes this, you're like, man, I'm taking hits, man. I never used to get hit like this. And as soon as I start to step into this, I get hit with all kinds of crazy stuff. And the reality is that you're in a battle zone, that when you stepped into your, your, your walk as a Christian man or woman of God, that you entered into the greatest war of the ages. So we're going to take a look at that real quick. And I just want to show you that. Let's look in Revelation 12. And we'll start in, let's see, verse 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, that's Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Overcame him by what? Blood of the lamb and the word of testimony. Okay. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the, woe to the earth and the sea for the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Keep reading verse 13. It says, when the, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And here we're talking about <clears throat> the woman. The woman is making reference back to Mary and the male child uh, is talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 14. 
The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half uh, out of the serpent's reach. You know the story of Jesus that uh, when he was born, of course, King Herod tried to kill all the baby boys. And so angel told Joseph in the middle of the night, the father of Jesus told Joseph, get up, take your wife and baby, go into the desert. So he went into Egypt where they stayed for a time until uh, King Herod had died and it was safe to come back. Okay? Uh, <laughs> I like Little Mermaid too. I'm just a Disney fan. I can't help it. Uh, verse 14, the woman was given wings to fly as an eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of, blah, 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 15, okay. Um, then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowed the river so that the dragon might uh, swallow the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Okay, so the dragon's obviously Satan's trying to overtake Jesus. You get the whole imagery that's going on there. And uh, obviously God does some things that makes that not possible. And then verse 17, it says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandment and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So you see right here from the beginning, I want you to understand this principle because it's really important because sometimes we step into... A, a spiritual world and it's kind of like demons are are bad or the you know there's just kind of there's this thing out there i can choose to engage it i can choose not to it can be a part of my life as a christian or not but i want you to see here what's happening from the very beginning satan tries to destroy jesus and obviously he can't god sets in make sure that's not a possibility and so what happens is the dragon goes all right fine if i can't get jesus i'm going to destroy everyone that loves him and everyone that goes off, every, every, everyone that has passion for Jesus, since I can't get Jesus himself, I'm going to target every single person. I think it's a powerful thing that we have to realize as we step into this because it's not an arbitrary, yeah, it's, it's kind of, you know, I can do it if I want to or not. You have to realize that Satan is out to destroy your life. The demonic forces are not nice guys. They're not pet friends. They're not uh, casual things you can engage. They're, they're, they're spirits with specific assignments against you to destroy your life. And so like it or not, we're thrust into this battleground. And so now as, as, our, as our role and as our position as Christians, we have to learn how to step into the identity of Christ. We have to learn how to read the word, how to become a practitioner of spiritual power. Because Jesus says, I love it, um, I couldn't find the, the reference a minute ago, but he says, for this purpose I have come into the world to destroy the works of Satan. And so he goes, you know what? He goes, here's the bottom line, guys. And same thing we see in Matthew 28, 18. He goes, bottom line, all authority and power in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so he says, now I give it to you. So he goes, you're in a battle zone. You've got a major task to accomplish. Your purpose is the same as was mine, to destroy the works of Satan. Everybody with me? So far, amen? Okay, all right. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's look at the little piece of paper you're holding there, the uh, fabulous skillet. Okay, first point on there. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, this comes out of Ephesians 6.12. It says, you are not a physical, or excuse me, this is, okay, this, this is not scripture, this is me. Um, <laughs> but it could be, okay. Uh, you're not a physical being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a physical experience. Again, you're not a physical being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a physical experience. And here's why, part of why that's so important. Uh, because if you try to approach and interpret and operate within the spiritual world through a physical set of lenses, you're going to get hit hard and, 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 and it's, it's going to be a mess. You have to fight spirit with spirit the same way that you'd fight flesh with flesh. 
Uh, Ephesians 6.12, he says, our wrestle, is not against spiritual, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so he goes, you know what? If you want to operate well within this world, within the spirit world, he goes, you've got to realize that you're not fighting flesh. There's not the same rules and guidelines that apply. He goes, you have to use the rules and guidelines of the spirit in order to fight well in the spirit. So again, you're, wrestle, or excuse me, you're not a, a physical being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a physical experience. So the reality of the spiritual world is the greater reality. So for us, as we learn and we grow into maturity in Christ, the, the more that we learn, the more we realize, you know what, I'm just, we hear people say it all the time, I'm passing through, dude. You know, I'm just kind of on my way through. And so the reality is that your spirit existed, you became in your flesh, and then when this body is gone, you're going to exist for, you know, myriads of years for af- afterwards. Um, okay, second thing. Spiritual authority is predicated on Christ-centered identity. And here's what I mean by that. The more that you know who you are in Jesus Christ, the more authority and power that you're going to have to operate within the spiritual world. There's a, a verse in, in Romans uh, 10, 12. And he's setting up this kind of argument, and it gets to the bottom, the bottom line. He says, the same Lord is rich to all who call on him. And the idea behind there, he says, you know what? He goes, God is powerful. God is awesome. God is amazing. He goes, but he's rich to those who call on him. In other words, there's some people who call on a pauper God or a poor God who doesn't really know me. They make requests of God like he was a pauper. God, if you'd please just kind of help me and just kind of make it through the day and help Susie like me more and just kind of, you know, do that thing. And there's other people that go, no, no, I don't serve a pauper God. I serve an almighty, powerful king, God. And those people, they're like, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, they speak with authority. And when you hear them talk, it's like it's threatening to the spiritual world. And so the difference is how they relate to God. So for you and I, the degree that you understand your identity in Christ is the degree that you'll operate effectively within the spiritual world. Understand that? Yeah. Preach on. Thank you very much. Yeah, right there. Okay. Um, I remember hearing a story um, that Britt Hancock told about a, uh, a warlock that was in Mexico. And he was one of the guys that was, uh, he was one of the high up spiritual guys uh, as, a, as a warlock. And so the guys, you know, they go into the caves and fast for 30, 40 days, whatever, and, and, and wait until... Uh, they receive power from demonic spirits. And so these were the guys that, like, you don't mess with them. Like, you make them mad and you're dead in the morning. <laughs> so it's, you know, kind of a bad day. So, so some serious spiritual power. And so he has quite a testimony. You'd ask him about his story, and he would, he would tell you no more than, I used to dance with Satan, and now I dance with Jesus. But he had a tremendous understanding of his spiritual authority, even though he was operating in the kingdom of darkness. And so he got saved through uh, a powerful experience that he had. And, uh, and in the 70s, uh, in the 1970s, Mexico had a massive plague. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was working through the crops, and it was getting into people and causing diseases, and people were starting to die. And so it's kind of a bad day, and uh, people are dying. We can't figure out this plague. And so they're bringing in specialists from all over the world. And so the uh, United States, of course, across the board, they're like, dude, deal with this. Get it done. Figure it out. This is important. We don't want it to spread into America. And so there was people that were flying in from England, from Australia. There was a team of scientists from the United States that were down there. And all these people are trying to figure out how to stop this plague. And so during this time, again, this is during the 70s, this man, I don't remember his name, but, but the Lord spoke to him and he said, he said, I want you to go stop the plague. And so we've got like all these like international people trying to do this thing. And the Lord spoke to him, this guy that was a warlock that, was, that had come to Jesus is now as a believer. And he said, I want you to stop the plague. And so he's like, all right, sweet. And so he goes to the government and he actually went to Mexico City and it took him, uh, I don't remember how many days, three or four or five days. They were, they were totally at the end of their rope trying to figure out how to solve this thing because people were dying. It was becoming a massive deal. And, um, and so he went there, and, and they were like, yeah, who are you? He was like, I can stop the plague. They're like, 
who are you? Warlock X guy, man, whatever, you know? And so, and so like, go away. And so comes back a couple days later, knocks, you know, gets, gets to the government building. They're like, he goes like, I can stop the plague. And they're like, no, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You're a nice little guy, whatever. And so he came back three or four times. And finally, they were at such a point of desperation that they said, great, wh- what, what's your idea? How can you do it? And he just said, do you give me permission to stop the plague? And they said, yes. And he walked out of the building and he walked outside and he just said, in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, I command this thing to be broken and to die. And immediately like that, the next day, every, every piece of it that they could find, just, it, it died. It went away. It gone. It, it, over. <laughs> but it was, a, it, was a, it was a powerful demonstration of he knew who he was in Christ and he knew his identity. And because he knew who he was and because he understood authority, authority when the Lord gave him the command to do something, it wasn't this kind of like, well, I don't know, I don't understand disease, I don't, whatever, what, it didn't matter. When the Lord spoke to him and he knew it and he understood his authority, he went and he spoke to it and immediately, and they ended up covering it up with some sort of nice special, uh, I think the German scientists discovered the cure, you know, uh, deal. But um, that day, they said the next morning, they couldn't find it anymore, it was over, it was gone, it was ended, and it was totally, totally healed. So, understanding your spiritual authority is powerful. Um, I, love, I love that, uh, or excuse me, uh, Matthew twenty eight eighteen. You guys are familiar with that passage in Matthew twenty eight eighteen. And uh, well, you don't have to turn there, but uh, it's it's a, it's a powerful passage because for us, that's part of the understanding your identity. Because the Lord goes, you know what? I want you to understand that all the power that I have, all that I am, everything that I possess, I'm giving that to you. And so in that discourse, obviously, it says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. I give it to you now. Go. So he goes, the same power and authority that I'm operating in, I want you to operate in. Okay. All right, uh, number three, keeping the end in view. I wrote this one down just for one, one big idea, and, and that's this. That sometimes when you're in the middle of a battle and you're in the middle of a story, it can be fantastically depressing. And you're like, man, I feel like we're taking one step forward and two steps back or one step forward and three steps back. And I think it's important for us that, that God gave us the whole Bible and put Revelation in the end of there because he knew that we'd need it. I knew that there would be the days and the times when we look and go, man, are we ever really going to win this thing? Are we ever really going to come out on top? Are we ever really going to see Jesus be victorious? And I think it's important for us to go, you know what, in the middle of, of every situation and every circumstance, step back and go, you know what, I know the end of the story. You hear people say it all the time. I know the end of the story. Jesus wins. Good news, right? Okay, who wins? Jesus wins. All right, it's good news. So in the middle of this, I was talking to, uh, you guys know who Fred Marker is? Crazy, like, 50-year-old guy that, like, loves nations and stuff. And, uh, and, and I was talking to him, and he was talking about the state of world affairs, and Islam is taking over this, and China is going to be the next world power, and you know, all these things. And I was like, Fred, this sounds really depressing. I was like, why do you keep doing even what you're doing? And he just kind of smirked, and he goes, well, I read the end of the book. <laughs> like, okay, that's, that's, that's good news. But I think it's important for us, as we engage, and we get in the middle of, of, of heated things, and, and, and we're advancing the kingdom, that we stop and we remember, and we go, okay, no matter what happens in this moment, no matter how bad this gets, I know that in the end that Jesus is the one that has the victory. So, okay, number four. Know your enemy. Know your enemy. The most powerful weapon that demonic spirits wage against humanity is deceit or lies. The most powerful weapon that demonic spirits wage against humanity is deceit. When Jesus talks about Satan, he says, Satan is the father of lies. And when he speaks lies, he speaks his native tongue. Satan can't make you do things, but he can kind of talk you into them, right? So he can kind of talk you into believing things, and, and he can get you believing and moving according to the, 
kind of the thought processes that he's using. And he doesn't have to win you over, so to speak. All he has to do is just get you buying into and believing the stories that he's telling. And the more that you cooperate with him, obviously the more that he can manipulate you to do the things that, uh, that he wants you to do. And so when I say know the enemy, I mean take some time to study and think about how is Satan trying to attack and destroy me? How is, what, are, what are the key things? In fact, I want to do that for just a second. I want to take, write on a piece of paper, if you guys have a pen and paper, write this, write this idea out real quick. I want you to write out what is the number one thing that you think Satan doesn't want you to know about him. Just take a minute to write that, and then I want, to, I want to have a couple people share. What's the number one thing that you think that the enemy doesn't want you to know about him? Let's have a couple people just uh, just share. Just raise your hand and, and uh, let's call some of those out. <laughs> Christina Trent was in 24-7 and you're trained to stand up and say your name in your years. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Good. It's really good. What else? really good. What else? A few more. Hmm. That's really good. He doesn't want us to know that everything corrupt in the world came from him. Hmm. That's really good. Getting back to the identity. Over there. Doesn't want us to know that he's the enemy. Okay. Great. Yeah. Mm, amen. Yeah. A couple more? Yeah, it's good. One more. Yeah, amen. No kidding. <laughs> Best set of news I ever heard. I think it's, I think it's, you think about a, a football game, any chess players in here? I'm kind of a chess nerd. Okay, three, okay, <laughs> five. All right, any football players? <laughs> football fans, even less, okay. Um, <laughs> it's funny because we'll approach it, we'll approach a sport like football, and if you're, if you're a coach, you'll go, yeah, dude, like, you got to study the team. You got to know what's going on. You got to know their strategies. You got to know, like, who's the fastest guy, where he's going, it's, 
left, right, you know, whatever, not a football player, but, but you study the opposite team and you find out where their weaknesses are. You find out where their strengths are. You find out how you can best prepare your team to defend and defeat that team. And we so often do that with, with sports games or in a job or whatever. But when it comes to our own spiritual lives, very rarely do we sit down and we really write out. I have, I have, uh, I have my guys write out every year. We just do discipleship. I have guys write out what we call the, your own screw tape letters. Anybody ever read screw tape letters? Okay, some of you. It's, it's basically, it's a book that C.S. Lewis wrote. And uh, it's basically a, a senior demon that's kind of coaching his nephew on how to get this Christian guy. And so the whole thing is from the perspective of a demon coaching another demon. And so, and so what I have my guys do every year is I have them sit down and I have them write out their own screw tape letter. And so I tell them, if you were trying to coach a demon on how to best get and destroy you, what would you tell them to do? And so it's a powerful exercise because you write out and you're like, dude, well, when he's tired, tell him that he's worthless and lonely and he's lame, you know, or... Uh, <laughs> You'll, you'll never, you know, I don't know, drink the right kind of coffee, whatever, whatever your thing is, but, but sit down and, and write that out. And, and I really encourage you to do that, whether it's with a, a friend or, or with a small group, it's a powerful exercise because you really start to see the strategies that Satan's using against you. And again, if we can understand how he's trying to attack us, then we can understand how we build defenses and, and, and defeat him. And so as, as we have done that over the years, we'll sit in a circle of guys and like one guy will be sitting there and be like, no way. He says the same thing to me. And then this guy's like, oh my gosh, he uses the same lines. It's like, same devil, different tricks, you know, different people. But, but, but it's amazing as you look at how, he's, how strategic he's being. Same set of tricks, but he uses the same ones over and over again with all of us. And when you really sit down and try to strategize and think about how he's getting you, you think about the worst places that you, you fear the most, the most guilt, the most shame, the things that are the most detrimental in your life, about your life, and the way that he works those things and keeps getting you over and over again in those. And then you begin to go back and apply the truth of Jesus to those situations. It's a whole new experience. So anyways, great thing to try and do. All right, I want to talk to you guys for a couple minutes about some characteristics of, of the demonic world. And this is a little bit more of a practical side where as you go in, whether you're, um, whether you're in, in, whether it's a school or work or maybe at the mill or whatever, when you're going to pray and to interact with people and you start running into uh, the spiritual world, here's some things that I think are important for you to know. Some characteristics, if you will. The first thing is that demons love to imitate people. So demons will, they'll, they'll find a characteristic or a personality and then they'll manifest that characteristic or personality in somebody else. For example, um, in a lot of cases where people are uh, possessed and they're manifesting in there, and by possessed I mean that there's a, there's a demon spirit that's making itself known through that person, that, uh, that oftentimes they'll be somebody else. So you'll hear somebody that might be like a, a four-year-old girl or an eight-year-old girl that starts talking like a man's voice. You're like, okay, that's, that's weird. That's probably a, probably a spiritual thing going on there. But oftentimes they'll take on the personality of somebody who was alive maybe you know, 30, 40 years ago. And so then they'll start talking as a different person in that person. But they love to imitate. They love to take a persona and imitate that person. And so it's very rarely is there a true identity revealed unless it's something you know, spoken by the power of Jesus. But, but very oftentimes they're imitating. And again, that's rooted in the whole lie and deceit thing. So demons love to imitate people. Oftentimes it's somebody from the past. Uh, demons always lie. You guys already said that. Demons always lie. The only time they'll speak the truth is when they're, when they're evoked to under the blood of Jesus, when you speak something directly to them. So, so if you're ever in a, in a, in a situation of, of dealing with somebody who, who you know is, is, is dealing with a demon... Uh, don't try and start a conversation. 
What are you here for? What are you doing? They're going to give you all lying answers. And so, so don't, don't get into that. If you ever find yourself in that situation, don't talk to them. Tell them to shut up and command them to get out. Okay? Uh, demons are under the authority of Christians. And this is interesting. You can look in the Word. It's, they're the lowest of all of God's creation. Okay? You know they fell from Satan. Um, I love the story of when, when, uh, when Jesus is casting out the demons out of the, out of the man, and there's a legion of demons, and, and, uh, and they're like, uh, we know you're the son of God and, and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, can we go like run into these pigs? And the pigs go running off the thing and like jump into the water and, and drown and bad day for pig farmers. Uh, so, so that whole thing takes place. But, but they weren't even allowed to leave one man and to go into animals unless they, had, unless they had permission to do so. And you look in the Garden of Eden and when the Lord gives the curse to Satan, uh, he says, you're going to be cursed of all the livestock. You're going to crawl on your belly. You're the lowest of the low of the low. And so demons don't have permission. They can't uh, enter the higher ranks up to the highest rank, which is us on earth, they can't do that without permission, which means there's got to be some doorway or some access. So they're the lowest rate uh, of all of God's creation. They have to have permission to move up. Why that's important to know for us is because they don't have a place in people unless there's even been an open doorway or unless they've been invited. So anytime you're dealing with, with, a, with a, a significant spiritual situation, particularly demonic, you know that there's some doorway or some invitation whether it was loneliness, rejection, some past hurt or pain, whatever it is, there's got to be some entrance to that thing. And then, as has also already been said, is that they always bring an element of truth, which is obviously the nature of, of, of lying. They have to tell some truth, and then they kind of twist it a little bit. So there's always some element of truth that they bring. Okay, so here's some, here's some, here's some things that you can do to prepare well. Uh, this is obviously for our own Christian journey, but obviously as, as we, as we uh, attempt to interact in the spiritual world. First thing, first thing you should do every day, regardless, no matter what, Ephesians 6, man. Get on and put on that armor. And uh, you guys know the Ephesians 6 armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shod, you know the, whole, you know the whole deal. But put on the armor. It's a significant thing, not just because it's some ideas that you can work through, but it's going, you know what, I'm not going to move according to uh, ideas and, and, and popular philosophies. I'm going to move according to truth. I'm not moving according to some conviction I have. I'm moving according to faith. And so put on the armor. Second thing, get in the habit of praying in the Spirit. If, how many of you guys, uh, a prayer language, when we say praying in the Spirit, how many of you guys have uh, a prayer language? Okay, half, three quarters, good. Okay, awesome. Get in the habit of doing that often because that's a way uh, where your Spirit's directly communicating with the Lord Jesus. So pray in the Spirit often and listen. In, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, Cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So when you go to pray, when you're, when you're interacting with somebody and trying to deal with a spiritual situation, oftentimes like your mind's like, it's this, or it's this, or go here, or slap them on the side of the head, or I heard somebody do this one time and this worked, or you know, say this thing or whatever. But be praying and be listening because the Spirit will have specific instruction for you as far as how to deal with that situation. 2 Corinthians 10.5. So when I go to pray, or when I go to pray over someone that I know is wrestling with a spirit, that's one of the first things I do because I don't want my flesh messing up or getting in the way of what God's trying to do. So I go, every thought that's not of Jesus, get out of the way. And now, Jesus, do what you want to do. So first step there. Um, second thing is, is fast. Be into some sort of fasting routine. In Matthew 17, there's a story where Jesus is, uh, or where the disciples are trying to cast out a demon, and they can't cast it out. And Jesus is like, come on, you guys, what are you doing? This is lame. I've been with you all this time. You should know this stuff by now. And, and he gets to the bottom of that little discourse and he goes guys listen here's the bottom line some of these only come out by prayer and fasting and what fasting does is obviously it weakens your flesh so that you can be more sensitive to the spirit of god moving inside of you 
And so there are some spiritual forces that aren't removed unless you have a heightened level of spiritual maturity and can interact in that environment. So fasting helps you become more sensitive to what the Spirit of God is trying to do. Uh, fourth thing, meditate on the Word of God. Meditate, meditate, and meditate. Uh, Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I remember... Holy cow. Okay, I remember, I remember a time when I was in high school, and I was praying. This is kind of a crazy, fun story, but bear with me. Um, I think it illustrates this idea of, of praying in the Spirit and knowing the Scripture. Um, I was praying one morning, and we used to go every morning and pray at 6 o'clock at the church that I went to. And so I was praying, and, uh, and um, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me just to put my head down and, and pray. And so I thought, that can't be the Holy Spirit. Usually when I do that, I wake up with cool designs on my face. And so um, I was like, okay, I'll do it. And so I just kind of sat there, and I prayed. And as I started to pray... Um, the Lord started to open up kind of a vision that was happening uh, in the spiritual world. And what happened was I was sitting there, and the Lord Jesus just kind of put his arms down in front of me like this, and there was a huge sword laid across in my hands. And as soon as I grabbed the sword in front of me, there immediately loomed this giant demonic spirit. I don't know, it was, it was a couple stories tall. It was huge, black. It really didn't have a form. And, and in this vision, I started kind of just fighting with this thing and swinging the sword. It was like a... It's like a I don't know, like cool Jedi sort of a situation or something. It was just like we're swinging swords and we're fighting, and, and I would swing at it, and it would, it would hit me, and it would knock me down, and I would be there, and I'd be about to be run through, and right as the sword would be coming down, I'd see from behind me, Lord Jesus' arm would flash in front, and the swords would clash right here, and he'd push me back up, and we'd start fighting again, and, and he'd go to stab me or something, and I'd see the Lord's sword kind of swing in front of me, and we're going on this fight, and I'm kind of frustrated. I'm like, I'm here with Jesus, and this whole thing's not working. What's going on? And immediately he reminded me of the word, and he goes, speak the word. And I was like, oh, yeah. And so I just, I turned, I was like, in the name of Jesus, I said, I command you to go by the blood of Jesus. And immediately the spirit just kind of shot across and it, and it left. And I found out later there was, there was actually a, a spirit of death that had been in that place and just some weird stuff. But at any rate, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, speak the word. And I was sitting there interacting and fighting with it. He's like, listen, it's not that big of a deal. Speak the word. And so anyways, I came to and kind of popped up and I was like, oh, my gosh, that was crazy. And immediately I knew there was a demonic presence in the room. And so um, I started walking around, and I was praying and trying to be really spiritual, and I just had this vision that was kind of cool, and, but I was really scared, and I felt this demonic presence. And it was kind of like, you're like, God, I trust you. Is there somebody there? You know, you're kind of <laughs> walking around. I was like, Jesus, you're amazing. And it was, it was so real. And, and I was just, I was filled with fear. And immediately, uh, the, the Holy Spirit spoke again. He said, speak the word. And so I just turned around, and I pointed, and there was nobody there visibly. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go. And immediately, the presence left. And again, as I, as I said, it, it was, I found out later that there was a, it was this church that I was praying was actually built on an Indian graveyard um, from, yeah, like 100 years before. And so uh, there was a spirit of death in that place and all that kind of thing. So, so not important, but the important thing was speak the word of God. Know the word of God. Have it inside of you. Be prayed up. Be meditated on it. Okay, I want to run through, uh, I'm going to skip through this and, and run through a couple uh, ideas real quick here. And then we'll do a little bit of Q&A at the end. Um, I want to talk to you uh, about mature versus immature approach to the spiritual world. Um, as I thought about this, I thought, man, there's a lot of big ideas floating out of there. How do I know if I'm like heading in a good direction, I actually know what I'm doing, or if like, I'm just walking off the deep end? And so I'm going to go through uh, five different mature versus immature people in the, in the spiritual world, just kind of to help paint this out for you a little bit. Okay, first one is immature people are infatuated with spiritual things. 
while mature people are focused on learning spiritual warfare for the purpose of setting people free. Read that again. Immature people are infatuated with spiritual things or beings, while mature people are focused on learning warfare for the purpose of setting people free. In Revelation 19, uh, John is having experience in heaven, and he, he's, he's watching these incredible things unfold, and he's standing next to an angel, and all of a sudden he falls down, and he starts worshiping, and the angel's like, dude, stop. I'm a servant with you. Stand up. Like, worship God only. And so, but I think it illustrates a lot of where, where we're at in our culture and society. We're like, angels, demons, and, and like, wow, all this. And he's like, listen, that's not the point. The point is Jesus. He's like, we're all servants together. So mature people are focused on learning spiritual uh, warfare for the purpose of setting people free. Number two, immature people, immature, uh, immature Christians slander spiritual principalities while mature people have a respect and understanding of power. Sometimes you'll people like, man, I'm going to kick Satan's butt, man. He don't know what he's doing, man. Satan's just a punk, man. Satan, I don't know. Satan, rah, 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 rah. And you're just like, oh my gosh. And sometimes I'm like, man, that's dangerous because you look in the word and it, uh, there's a story where it's talking about Michael and Satan are kind of debating over who's going to get Moses' body. When Moses dies, there's a passage and they're debating over what's going to be done with the body. And, and so they're talking and it says, even Michael did not dare to bring a reviling accusation against Satan. So if I go, if the, if the highest principality in the Christian world, in the, in the kingdom of light, Michael, who's the archangel, if he's the highest guy, like before him, like then it's God, okay? Like he's like number two. So it's kind of kind of a big deal, okay? If even number two guy is wrestling face-to-face with Satan and he himself wouldn't dare to bring a reviling accusation against Satan, shouldn't I be careful in the words and the things that I use? And so when, 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 when Michael was interacting with him, he said, the Lord rebuke you. He's like, man, I have massive respect for the power that you have. He goes, and I'm not dependent on my own power. And he's in this wrestling, and he goes, I'm not going to mess with you, but Jesus rebuke you, the Lord rebuke you. And so he had an understanding. He goes, let's not get immature, just like, man, Satan's a punk, man, whatever. <laughs> Don't get into all that. It's dangerous territory. Have massive respect, but know where the true authority and power lies. Okay, number three. Are you guys with me? A little bit. I know this is kind of like, it's kind of like a weird, like, anyways. Okay. Number three. Immature people want to use power to control people and manipulate circumstances, while mature people want to free people and move them under the control of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes you'll see people going like, man, this is amazing. I love this spiritual power thing. Like, dude, check this out. I'm going to walk on water. You know, or I have this massive understanding of spiritual forces. Demon, go there. Demon, go there. And that's kind of, it's kind of this thing where they become proud of the spiritual authority and power that they have rather than coming to a place where they go, you know what? I'm nothing. Jesus works through me and I simply have power in order to influence the kingdom of God. Amen? Okay. Uh, Fourth thing, immature people want to be their own masters. While mature people understand that they are always under authority. Look real quick in Luke 7. Luke 7, starting in verse 7. It's the story of the centurion when he's trying to get Jesus to come heal his son, or he wants Jesus to come heal his son. Uh, start in verse 6. It says, so Jesus went to with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. 
I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following, following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I have not found such great faith even in all of Israel. And why was he impressed with his faith? Because the man understood authority. And so I think that for us, we have to understand that when we have authority, it's never an authority unto your own. Authority unto your own is rebellion. But when you have authority, it's always for a specific purpose because your authority is not your own. You've received it from someone, from Jesus. And so you have to understand the role of your authority and the purpose for which you've been given it. Okay? And then number five, immature people are infatuated with building their own spiritual rapport. Mature people are captivated with the desire to bring glory to Jesus. So the bottom line of why do we grow in this stuff? Why do we learn? Why do we, why do we grow in, in, in the armor and, and meditating in scripture and fasting and all these things? The bottom line is because we have a consuming desire to make Jesus known. And so we'll do as Jesus did. We'll destroy whatever works of Satan. We'll do anything that we have to do in order to bring glory to Jesus Christ. So we're not about trying to go like, dude, I have reached this level of spiritual maturity or I can cast out these many demons or I can raise the dead. None of that, none of that matters. None of that's the point. If we ever get our eyes onto the things or the tricks or the stuff that we can do through the power of Jesus, we've missed the point. The bottom line is that we're a people that's consumed with bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay, I want to just take just a couple minutes and just have a quick little Q&A time and just ask. Uh, we kind of crammed through some stuff here, and I just want to take a few minutes and see if there's any specific questions uh, about the spiritual world, about how we interact, or maybe you've had an experience and you're like, man, what was a good way to respond in this, or what's something that I can do better? So I just want to open it up for the last seven minutes or so and see if we have some questions or thoughts or ideas that you might have about any of this. Who's going to be the first person? Go ahead, bro. Can you speak really loud and, and stand up so everybody can kind of hear you? Thoughts, questions? Thomas. Yeah, that's a that's a really good 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 observation. There's there's there is um, something that you'll hear kind of the spiritual crowd refer to as territorial spirits oftentimes. And they're spirits that are assigned to specific geographic locations in different places of the world and specifically within countries. So uh, where you have, you know, in Iraq or in Iran or, or, or a real heavy Muslim population, there's a lot of invitation for the demonic world. And so over the course of years, um, they'll go there and they'll, 
they'll lay on, on the gravestones of previous spiritual leaders and pray to receive power and demonic power to come into them and all those sorts of things. And so as you go to different places of the world, uh, usually according to the history of what's happened there, you'll find different, sp- different spiritual principalities. So, for instance, in Mexico, there's a huge uh, spiritual uh, principality of, of kind of an orphanism. Uh, orphan, orphans, orphanism, I don't know, orphans, <laughs> it's an orphanism, okay, <laughs> just work with me, people, so, so in Mexico, there's, there's a, there's a massive rejection uh, that's over that country as a spiritual principality, and you can study the roots and the history, and you can see how they were kind of the people, like, they were kind of the Indians, and then, like, the Spanish people came in, and then Spain didn't want them, and then this country didn't want them, and these people didn't want them, and for, for, for the United States, it's kind of like the, who y'all just stay down there sort of a deal, and, and you look at the history and you study, and, and throughout the years, you can see it developing to where now, when you sit down or when, if you've traveled or done much work in Mexico, one of the dominant spirits that you'll encounter over and over and over again is this massive rejection where there's no confidence or people won't look you in the eyes where it's totally, I'm nobody, I'll never be anything sort of thing. And so whatever area of the world that you're in, you'll oftentimes run into an area. And when you travel on missions trips, it's, 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 it's incredibly important to do your homework before you go so that you know what you're getting into. Uh, we found, I was, I was in, in Nepal and with, some, with some friends, and uh, it was funny because we went there and like, uh, like in, in a short amount of time, like we're like best friends. Like, we're like, dude, you're a punk, man. I, you know, I, I, dude, you're, you're totally, you're, I can't stand you. And dude, your mama's, man. I'm like, well, bro, bro, brother, it's our mom, you know? Just like, <laughs> so, so we found ourselves, we're like, dude, what are we arguing about the dumbest stuff in the world? This is so retarded. And, uh, and we just thought, like, dude, we're just tired, we're stressed. And we started doing our homework, and we found out that there's major roots in spiritual uh, history of tension and of just, of just uh, divisiveness and people and relationships and, and even the geographical location. So after we kind of found that out, we started doing some homework. We're like, dude, we were stupid. We totally fell to the spirit of the land. And so anyways, it's something important as you travel, whether it's in the United States or especially around the world, you'll find different spiritual pockets and assignments, and they're just principalities, like the Prince of Persia or whatever that the Word of God talks about. So, great question. Great question. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, how do we know which battles are ours? That's a really good question. Yeah, that one's not. <laughs> so <laughs> if you feel like you have to fight for Moses' body tonight, it's probably not God. <laughs> Let that one go by. Um, that's a really good question. Paul, Paul exhorts some of his disciples and followers. Um, he says, he goes, serve within the realm of influence that you've been given. So what I would do is I would look and I go, what are the realms of authority that God has given me? Okay, so the number one realm that I know that he's given me is me. So I start with me. God, lay my heart bare. Is there anything inside of it that's not of you? And I go, Lord, what are some of the areas that you've given me influence in? So I'm not, I'm not married yet. I will be shortly right here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and thank you, Jesus. See, <laughs> there is a God. There are angels. <laughs> and there are demons because they've been slayed. So, um, so, but I'll look. And I'll, so as, as a head of my household, as a father, I'll go, I'm responsible for my children. I'm responsible for my wife. And so those are all areas where if there's anything happening in those areas or in their lives, that's my responsibility. Okay, so even as, as a member of New Life Church, you have a measure of responsibility to fight and defend the territory here. 
and you have a measure of responsibility. Say, say you're uh, somebody that works in the altar ministry on Friday nights, and you have a measure of responsibility that anybody that comes to you in that context, man, you get violent about digging in and protecting them and working through those spiritual issues. If it's a good friend, the closer relationship the friendship is, the more responsibility you have to influence and take that in. So look in more of the natural realm and go, what are the areas that I've been given responsibility to influence? And then when something comes in those, then, dude, that's yours. That's, that's where you step in. So that, and obviously just listen to the Holy Spirit, like the, the warlock guy that stopped the plague, you know? He had a lot of spiritual authority, but the Lord told him to. It was very direct. So look at the authority that you're in, find out which ones, and then those are the ones you need to go for. Great question. It's good. One or two more. Yeah, at the back. I think I think it's a it's that is directly contingent or directly in proportion to to what you've invited into the doors that you've opened. Okay, um, if you if you lived in, in in downtown in the Bronx, you know, in New York, and people getting shot, drugs, and all that kind of stuff going on, you probably are not going to leave your door open at night. You know, it's kind of like that's ah, kind of a bad idea. You know, um, so if you lived in a place like that, then as a smart individual, you would lock that door. You might. Uh, hide a gun or kitchen knife or plastic fork. I don't know what your weapon is, but something with you to protect and defend your area. So the greater, the greater openings that you have, if you are in, a, in a, an intense spiritual environment, which as Christians, you've already enrolled yourself in one. If you're in an intense spiritual environment, the more careful you have to be to bar those entries. So bitterness, judgment, unforgiveness, all those things are doors that Satan can enter in through. So, so the greater degree of those things that are open, the wider open the doors are, the more he can influence. So dreams, all that kind of stuff, absolutely he can. Which is, again, why Lord goes, man, don't let the sun go down on your anger, people. Stay clean. It's not a big deal. Just do it. It's safe. You'll live longer. You'll feel better. You'll be taller. So one more. Mm-hmm. going to be tough. So within the authority structure that we have as Christians, okay, I think I understand your question. Let me, let me go about it this way. Let's say that you feel like, um, God has given you a word for Aaron Stern. Like you feel like there's a demonic thing going on and you need to go tell Aaron Stern that he's whatever. I don't know, doing something weird, okay? Um, so, so, so you feel this conviction about it and so you feel like you need to approach him and you need to deal with this thing and you need to speak to the spirit because of your position where he is as your pastor. Like for you per se, it would be like Aaron and then Joe or Evan and then you. So that would be up past where your, where your authority structure is. So if God had placed you, so if you were... Pastor Brady, then you would have a direct influence into his life. Then that would be your responsibility to go and to speak into his life. So if it wasn't, and you feel like the Lord had truly shown you something, then your responsibility then is to go hit your knees and go to the prayer closet and pray that thing through until you gain some ground in that area. So you want to look again, same sort of thing as what are the spiritual places, or what are the places of natural authority that I'm operating in, and those are the places I have responsibility to influence. Does that answer your question? Do we finish now, Joe, or 10 or 50, or what do we do? We all run away right now. Okay. One more question. One last one. We'll pray it out. Yeah, go ahead.
Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, I think that there's a couple dynamics there. One is I think the American church has gotten so comfortable with the presence of God or the absence of the presence of God. We've gotten so comfortable with religion and pretty little churches and nice little services with no transformational change. And so we've gotten so at ease with the God thing that we don't even have to have power. One of, the, one, of the, one of the Chinese believers came over in the 70s and said, the thing that impresses me most about the American church is the incredible things it can accomplish without the power of God. And so you look at our churches, and sometimes we don't even think that we need the power of Jesus because we're getting along just fine without it. We're not making any eternal impact, but we have a cool little club. You know what I'm saying? So when you go overseas and there's not a heritage, we have a massive spiritual heritage in our country. You go overseas to a country uh, that might be, I don't know, China or, I don't know, somewhere, and, and there's not a massive spiritual heritage there. And so there's a open, open gates for, for demonic spirits to do whatever they want to and to influence that situation. But because of our heritage, we have a godly heritage. So yes, I mean, we have both sides. One, there's people who are apathetic and deny that even the power of Jesus Christ. But the other side, thank God for uh, churches that are life-giving, that are engaging, that are hitting hard, that are, that are real. So I think the bottom line is that's a huge exhortation for us. Don't become so casually... Uh, confident in your interaction within the spiritual world in the church that you lose reverence for the power of God because we need it, people. It's not an option. It's not something we can do. It's a very real battle. It's something we have to dive into. So anyways, with that said, um, I hope you guys walk away from today thinking a little bit more about not just um, I have some new ideas. I know a little bit more about demons and spirits, but going, Lord, create a hunger inside of me that goes, I want to learn how to become powerful and effective in the spiritual world. Because we're all here to influence and to move the kingdom forward because every one of us has some measure of a desire to go, I want Jesus to be famous in my generation. And that's the bottom line. It's not the stories. It's not the experiences. It's not an infatuation with the spiritual world. It's I have a consuming desire for Jesus to be known. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, good. All right. Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for, uh, Lord, just, Father, I ask that you would create a hunger and a thirst inside of us. Uh, Lord, to, to desire spiritual things, God, to desire gifts, God, to, to, to know how to operate effectively in the spiritual world. And Father, I pray that you would help us not to be ooey-gooey, weird spiritual people, but Father, we'd be practical, founded, powerful people to advance your kingdom. And so, Father, we just thank you for this time this morning. We pray you continue to move in our lives and bless it now. We love you so much. Everybody said, amen. Amen. amen.